Welcome to our next episode of Cities Speak. I'm Clarence Anthony, your host and CEO and Executive Director of the National League of Cities. We are kicking off June with a special Pride Month episode. And it's so special because it's someone that I know, uh, follow and political networks. And now uh, I'd say a colleague in the movement of helping leaders uh, to be able to get elected and also just helping leaders who historically hadn't been at the table find themselves at the table in their communities. So everyone today, I'm so excited to talk with and to learn from Anise Parker, the former mayor of Houston, Texas, and the current president of the Victory Fund. Hello, Mayor. How you doing? Hello. I am doing very well, and I'm happy to speak to you. It's a great way to uh, kind of get ready for Pride Month. Well, you know, I always say, as a former mayor, always mayor. So if I go in and out of saying Mayor Parker or Anise. You can call me Anise. You can call me Mayor Parker. But I use the title uh, professionally because my work with Victory uh, is with candidates and office holders and to to show them that I know I know what their life is like and uh, what they're going through it's helpful to uh, have uh, actually have that lived experience and the title is uh, an example of that yeah I I even see that in in my role as CEO of the National League of Cities I was a former mayor and one of the things that was interesting I always felt they wouldn't hire a former mayor as the CEO of the National League of Cities. And it was interesting looking at your journey and how you got into public life was interesting. But that former mayor title sometimes get people like, oh, you you actually ran a city or so? Well, so if you can run a city, you can pretty much run anything. Let's just get that out of the way right there. Mayors tend to be pragmatic policy wonks and uh, we like to get stuff done. It's frankly why a lot of mayors uh, don't go on to run for uh, legislative bodies or Congress because they like to get stuff done. Okay, that's well, that's <laughs> that's my snarky comment for today. Well, you know the thing is, um, it is great to be able to to see you in this role uh, because it's obvious that it's a Victory Fund is a needed organization because if we look back in 1991, we saw. At all levels, there was uh, nearly 50 openly LGBTQ plus elected officials across America. And so when you were able to take over this role, uh, the attention was to try to get more candidates for public office. Uh, are you seeing that uh, happen more around America? Absolutely. There are just under 1,100 out LGBT elected officials now. Now, we know that there are more, but these are the ones that, that we've been able to identify that, that publicly accept uh, that they're part of the community. More and more folks run every year. Part of it is, you know, uh, 2018 was a watershed year for all sorts of marginalized communities the, the 2016 election shocked a lot of folks. And so you had folks, more women, more candidates of color, more uh, first generation Americans, more LGBT candidates ran. 
for the first time, we just had a flood of candidates on the on the ballot. The LGBT community was obviously a part of that. But also what's happening is that success breeds success. If you see people in these roles, if you see that folks have had success running, uh, you're more apt to want to take the plunge yourself. Uh, that huge surge of candidates in 2018 was, was good for us. A lot of first-time candidates, let's be frank, lose. And uh, part of what we do at Victory, we are Victory Fund, and then we are also Victory Institute, we have a C3 side, is that we train candidates and we work with people who want to run for office. And so if we didn't pick you for an endorsed candidate on the fund when you were actually running, uh, maybe it's because you need a little more training. Maybe you need to pick a different race. Sit down and work with us because our job at Victory is to put more LGBT leaders into the political pipeline. It's, uh, we, don't, we don't do lobbying. We don't do policy. We just do... Uh, people. And uh, while we love and respect our allies, we don't, that's not the, our mission. And we don't just do elected office. We also have uh, a team that works on putting people into appointed positions at the, at the federal level. So you want to see people like you in office. That's what, that's what we've been doing for more than 30 years. But it's not just that. Feel that you have the right to be there. You have to, that you have the skills and the experience to get there. And so uh, all of these things and the fact that there's a group like Victory out there to help you means that we have more and more candidates who um, run every year and we have success. One of the things that we do on the C3 side is we maintain a map. It's called Out for America. So just internet search outforamerica.org and it will show you information on every out uh, LGBT elected official currently serving uh, that we've been able to find. And you'll see that they, we are everywhere. And we're also a nonpartisan organization so that you'll see while we are heavily uh, uh, more on the left side of the, the aisle, that because LGBT folks are from every community, in every community, you'll see a pretty amazing geographic and political uh, diversity. If you look at the map, you know, you can um, listen to you talk about the, the victory fund and your passion and commitment. You know, we saw it when you were mayor of Houston. Uh, you're doing it all across America now in terms of helping advance uh, equality. And one of the things that I'd like our listeners to hear uh, from you is about your journey. You know, you were uh, the first openly um, a gay mayor in uh, Houston, six years city council, uh, six years as controller, and now your journey's got you here. What motivated you to to serve and to do what you do? So first of all, yeah, uh, we had th- we had two year terms in Houston and uh, three term term limits. So three terms, six years as a council member, term limited, three terms, six years as a controller, term limited, three terms, six years as mayor, term limited. So yeah, what moved me up the pipeline? Term limits. <laughs> it always works. <laughs> I am not a fan of term limits, but it, it pushed me to think about what I wanted to do and, and continue to serve. But the true answer to your question is I had a family who really believed in, in civic engagement and volunteerism. And my parents and my grandparents, you know, and let me just say my mom and both my grandmothers worked outside the home. So I had very strong role models of 
women, you needed to be able to, you needed to educate yourself. You need to be able to support yourself and you had to give back to community. So they all volunteered. They were all very active in their church. And they were also, if there was a neighborhood cleanup or if there was some, you know, uh, a need, a crisis, they were volunteers. And when I was little, I was voluntold. And when I grew up, I, it became a, a part of, of who I was. And so, you know, I didn't run for office and uh, uh, I didn't win my first council seat until uh, 1997. And uh, I had a 20-year career in the oil and gas industry. But all that time I was working, I was an active community volunteer. And so running for office was just a logical next step because it was a deeper level of, of work on the issues that I cared about. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, uh, your process of being one of the first and making that decision uh, to go out and, and run for the offices that you you did and how you're encouraging others. What advice do you give them? Being a first is an opportunity and also a challenge. So I am noted as the first uh, LGBT person to lead a, a major American city, but uh, Houston's the fourth largest city in America. I was only the 10th woman in American history to lead a top 10 U.S. city. So every day I was conscious of being a role model as a woman, being a role model as a member of the LGBT community who identifies as a lesbian, of but but also uh, as as you mayor, just wanting to do a good job for for my hometown, for for my city, and it it wasn't a burden, but it was a responsibility I acknowledged, and I think that that's important when you know that you're you're a person you're willing to take that on. I mean, I didn't I didn't run to make a statement; I ran to make a difference in my community, but recognizing that I had certain responsibilities outside or to, to the broader community and that I had to conduct myself uh, accordingly. And I just, it, it was just part of the whole, uh, what it meant to be a mayor. Now it was helpful to me that I'd already been in office 12 years, the six years as council member and the six years as controller. So I had an established public persona and, uh, uh, I kind of knew what to expect. I was startled and what I've learned and particularly in a, in a big city where there's 24 hour media coverage. Uh, I was recognizable as the city controller or city council member, but I could never be anonymous again in Houston as mayor. Uh, so, and, and in a modern era where everybody has a recording device in their hands there, there are no private moments in public for any public, any elected official. So, and 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 mayors are so recognizable that uh, I was conscious all the time when I was out of the house that yeah, someone could be recording, someone could be watching. It just it is just part of what you have to accept when you when you go into the the job. And I would uh, finally, I would just say that I would do in my mind when I would take positions or think about how what was I was out in public and then doing something or other. Like, would I want to explain this to my grandmother? 
And if I couldn't, if I could, if I can explain what I was doing to my grandmother, I didn't want to do it. We all have you to know, have some is, kind of voice like that in our heads. Yeah, that was my mother. I mean, I'd say, would Mama be upset if she read about this in the newspaper? But it's so funny that you say that because sometimes I'm with my family and I'm joking around in the airport, and my wife will say, "You know, your mayor or your CEO, somebody's gonna know who you are." And as soon as I do something crazy, someone walks over and say, hello, Mayor Anthony, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I was just dancing in the airport. Dancing in the airport, I think you can get away with. There's certain other, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't take a drink in public. And for the 18 years I was in office, I mean, I, I'm not a teetotaler, but I, I'm not a heavy drinker, obviously, either. But it just wasn't worth it to me to be pictured with a glass of alcohol in my hand. And uh, not being sharp when I was in, in public. It was just a choice that I made. No, it's, uh, you're representing uh, the, the citizens of Houston and you want to represent them in a positive way. So, you know, I, I get that. You know, things have uh, changed in public leadership over the years, as you've probably seen. We're seeing so much more incivility attacks on local officials uh, personally, their family, uh, at the grocery store. And then there is an increasing rise in uh, anti-gay legislation uh, we're seeing at state levels. How are you navigating those trends and uh, how has it impacted your work at the Victory Fund? Politics is, is a blood sport. It has always been. But the the tenor of, of what is acceptable publicly has changed. I mean, the, the Trump administration was a watershed for that. So too, the, the rise of social media, so much of the ugliness, if you take away social media, most people are still uh, civil to your face. So that is, uh, uh, there has been a huge change for our candidates. And because we do candidate training, we try to prepare them for what what campaigning is going to be like, what what they might face, and and it's uh, it is exponentially worse for for women than for male candidates. And again, that is just something you have to you know think about before you get in. Have a support network uh, prepared, and then be ready for what it, when it happens and. You know, I, what, what we tell what I tell people all the time is don't don't doom scroll through social media. Uh, but you also have to recognize and be safe. You know, I, I was a lesbian activist starting in the early 70s. Uh, I was just starting my I was actually when I was in college and then in my early business career. And you know, I was I worked for conservative Republican oil man. So it was like oil company employee by day, activist by night kind of thing. But I did a lot of things in a different era. And so I came in with the expectation of not being safe in a public place as an LGBT person. The kids who are growing up today, the people who are going into politics today in much younger generations have a different expectation. And this change in the public, uh, you know, uh, the atmosphere uh, in, in public spaces has shocked them. And it's kind of helpful to be able to say, look, I was there back in the day. You know, this is, this is, these are the things you need to think about and this is how you need to prepare. What is shocking to me right now is a very recent phenomenon that 
like uh, State Representative uh, Zoe Zephyr in Montana being expelled from the chamber for saying something that basically she said, if you pass this anti-trans bill, you'll have blood on your hands. I don't know how that's not part of normal debate in a, in a chamber, but to expel her and disenfranchise all of the people who voted for her, for the Justins in uh, Tennessee to expel them from the chamber, they may have done something. And in fact, I do think they did something that would warrant them being um, you know, censured or sanctioned by their body, but don't disenfranchise all of the people who uh, voted for them. This is a new thing. And we as a people are gonna have to figure out how we have a functioning democracy and everybody in the room and tensions are high and the governors are off our mouths a little bit, but we cannot disenfranchise voters and expel uh, duly elected folks for what I would say are, are frivolous reasons. I mean, everybody has rules of decorum and you can enforce those rules of decorum, but they, barring some you know, egregious criminal act, no one should be thrown out of a chamber. And and they're they're and, and again, you know, the Justins were not were, are not victory candidates. They're not they're not they're not gay men. Um, but it's the this kind of thing is happening in more and more places. You know, as you reflect on what they're going through, um, what would you tell the nineteen ninety candidate from for Houston City Council, Anise Parker? What would you go back and tell her? What kind of advice would you give? Well, so first of all, I actually did run in 1991 and I ran in 1995 and I lost. So I lost, I ran two races for city council and lost. And then I figured out how to do it. And I won nine consecutive races in the city. So <laughs> what I would, what I would tell uh, and what I tell people every day is that running and losing is there is no shame in running and losing as long as you run a good campaign and you speak truth uh, to the issues. Everybody, I mean, we need people who are willing to, to stand up. So the advice would be, like, don't give up. And that the opportunity to serve is a great honor. And it is worth what you have to go through to get there. Campaigning and governing are they're, they're, they're different things. And the, the brutality of a campaign uh, is, is it's different from the, the pressures of governing. But it's it's worth it's worth the journey to have the opportunity to to serve, but the other thing I would I would say is that uh, if you can't, don't take yourself too seriously. And you work with you work with elected officials. I work with elected officials. Um, sometimes small positions, big egos. That uh, <laughs> you know that you're no different from your constituents, other than the fact that you have a title. You know, you you talk about. Uh, working with people, I was going to ask you this question. CEO of uh, the city of Houston and now president CEO of the Victory Fund. What's the similarities uh, and what do you see as uh, the difference in terms of opportunities and challenges? Oh, I, I love the fact that I don't have to be on a ballot myself. You know, <laughs> going through uh, reapplying for your job or for a job every two years is uh is it's it's challenging and stressful and uh so and then running for office there's not anything about running for office that i that i enjoyed 
every, yeah, some people will say, oh, I like meeting the people. I do like meeting people. Running for office is like a combination uh, blind date job interview that goes on for months. And it's just not, it's just, it's, it's stressful. So I don't have to do that. But I am running an organization. I have the responsibilities and uh, that aspect of, uh, after I left the mayor's office, I was very clear to me, I, I needed to be, I needed to be in charge of something. I did not want to be in a legislative body. I wanted to be in charge of something. And I wanted to be in charge of something where I could see uh, like both short-term and long-term results, which is very similar to being in the city. And uh, victory allows me to stay engaged in politics because we endorse candidates at every level of the ballot all across the country. And our like strength, where we put most of our energies is uh, state house races and uh, city council races. Uh, so this, the, I, and I know this, this area. And so being able to really engage with folks and, and with, from my, from a shared experience is wonderful. I miss being mayor. I don't, I don't miss again, the, like, like the trappings of office. I don't miss city council. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't miss, I don't miss like council meetings and then being in the chamber every week, but I miss the ability to have a direct impact on people's lives but I appreciate with Victory the ability to help shape the candidates and make candidates successful, the candidates of the future who will lead their cities and their communities. And I can feel that sense of passing on a legacy. I think that is interesting because now you have a, a microphone and a stage to be able to go broader uh, than Houston and help a lot of people uh, along the way and the citizens that are in these cities throughout America. You know, um, a lot of our listeners may be interested in trying to find, find out how do they get involved in the Victory Fund or how do they support the Victory Fund if they're interested. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about getting connected? Our official title is LGBTQ plus Victory Fund and then LGBTQ plus Victory Institute. And it's victoryfund.org or victoryinstitute.org, the, the PAC and, the, and the, the C3. If you are an LGBT person who is running for office, uh, apply for an endorsement. We're a bundling PAC, which means that we identify candidates and, and spread the information about the candidates. And if you go to our website, you'll see all of the currently endorsed candidates this year. I think we'll get up to you know 150 or so. Last year, we endorsed... Uh, little over 500 candidates. But last year, we tracked uh, 1,100 LGBT candidates across the country. We screened 750 of them. We endorsed uh, exactly 500. And uh, so we are an engaged pack. And, you know, if you're excited about the idea of maybe supporting school board candidates across the country who, who are LGBT and want to fight against the removal of pro-LGBT books, or, uh, you know, you can go in and, and pull up all those candidates. If you want to support candidates, uh, uh, we have uh, separate funding streams to support candidates of color and uh, uh, women candidates. You can go in and say, show me all the women who are running for city council across, um, LGBT women who are running for city council and support them. On the institute side, our work is about training candidates. We have a really excellent candidate campaign training we have uh, leadership development programs for current elected officials who are LGBT. We have an internship program on Capitol Hill. And we also do 
political trainings in other countries. We have we do grant work for for the uh, USAID and the the State Department to do training. We don't endorse candidates in other countries, but we uh, teach them how to to run for office. I mean, we believe that democracy is better and stronger when everyone is represented, and everyone means also those who are in the LGBTQ community. But as I, as I said earlier, I mean, we're part of every community. Our candidates are 30% more diverse than the general candidate pool. Significantly more candidates of color who also identify as LGBT who you know, run and win successfully. So we, we work to make sure that they have the opportunity to bring all their amazing rainbow intersectional selves uh, into the legislative bodies of their choice, but we also expect them to to serve. I do a lot of candidate training now, and I also talk to a lot of people who think about running for office, and people come up to me and say, I want to run for office someday, and the short answer is, no one cares that you want to run for office. They want to know what you want to do in service. So what you need to figure out is, you know, an office is a tool, it's not a destination. So what tool is it that you want to take into your hand? What are you doing to prepare yourself to, to pick up that tool? And what are you going to do with it when you get there? And uh, democracy is alive and well in America. Sometimes it's frustrating when you look at what's happening in Washington or sometimes in the state capitals. But at the local level, it absolutely is uh, alive and well. And, and people care and they want to serve their, their neighbors. They want to serve their constituents. And uh, we, all of us, have a responsibility to help them to do that and to be a part of it and make informed choices about who we send into these positions. Wow. I'm so inspired by uh, your journey, first of all. I've, I've followed you for years and I've seen your leadership uh, as mayor. And now watching and hearing your voice uh, as CEO of the Victory Fund is more inspiring. And so I'm sure our subscribers and our listeners uh, have gotten a lot of, out of this conversation. And democracy is stronger when everyone is represented. It's something that I'm going to use somewhere again. I may give you credit for it. The no first need, time. because it ought to be a truism for all of us. I agree. Thank you so much, Mayor Parker, uh, CEO uh, Parker, for your time and and helping everybody to learn about the Victory Fund and uh, allowing us to lift up your voice and kick off Pride Month in this June. So we appreciate you and uh, continue uh, on your journey of uh, serving uh, America and leaders throughout America. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Anthony. Thanks for listening to City Speak with Clarence Anthony. If you like this show, let us know. Share this episode with your friends and make sure to subscribe. We're curious to hear what you think, what you want more of, and how we can improve. If you have feedback or an idea for a guest you'd like Clarence to sit down with, send us your thoughts at citiespeakpodcast at nlc.org. Join us next month for a new episode. Like and subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.